Do you hate Michigan, Atlanta, or the Cowboys more? And how would you order that? All right, I'm going to start with this second. Uh, it would go Cowboys because it's closer to – the Michigan is a little further removed. Yeah, and you always beat them. Um, yeah, and I've always beat them, so it's never been a yeah. problem. So I would say um, Cowboys, Michigan, and then the Falcons. Eight week down there. Uh, I, I actually have a line in my book, like a quote. I'm I, talking about how I would never play for Jerry Jones. I would retire before <laughs> I played for the Cowboys. <laughs> Welcome to the Green Light Podcast. Cowboy take me away. A great, insightful, in depth interview today. It's Malcolm Jenkins, Chris's former teammate in Philadelphia. The former NFL star talks about his new book, Leadership. Stories from the locker room with Chris, the transition out of football into their next careers, and a good bit of fellowship. Just a whole bunch of fun. Y'all, please enjoy this great chat. Check it out on YouTube. Catch you later. All right, it's been a while since I had this dude on. I figured I just wouldn't bother him in retirement. You know, he's writing books and shit. He's doing all types of stuff, as he always is. But we got him. He's on his book tour, and I got my copy the other day. And I haven't read a, a book in a while, but this could be the one. This could be the one. When my friends write books, I generally read them. I'm excited. He's a brilliant cat. He was a great player and one of my favorite teammates, Malcolm Jenkins. Welcome to the show, buddy. Yeah, man, I appreciate you having me. You, you definitely got to read the book because you're in it, my friend. That's, that's what I hear. So spoil it for <laughs> me. Is it good or bad? What what happened? <laughs> you got to Now you got to go read okay. to see it. Bro. Okay. You go check it out. And you're going to be, every time you see me, you're going to be like, yo, what happened in that part? And I'm going to. You, you're not, you're not, not going to be seeing if you're mad at me or not. Like, you know. <laughs> okay. Remember that time you got me on the sideline yeah. and uh, I got some get back. Okay, good. All right, good. Well, I haven't heard about <laughs> it yet, so I'm going to get in the book. I got a, a nice little drive later today. Dude. When did you decide to write a book? Did you know you're going to write a book when we were playing or something in the back yeah, of your head? Um, you know, I didn't know it was around 2021 is when I started the book. Yeah. Like that training camp, I'm just sitting around and I'm like, I could kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know if I can make it through another training camp. I remember. Uh, and those thoughts just started to like make me reflect on the whole 13 years of my career then it went further to Ohio State and just all the things that have kind of brought me to where I am today. And I'm like, I know I have to tell my own story. You know how it is as an athlete. Most people tell your story for you. Um, but most people don't get the, the purview of all of the things that go into making you who you are. And so I started that process, um, which was, was cool, but I was still playing. So I thought I needed a ghostwriter and that just didn't work. We worked on that for about maybe a year and a half and just couldn't get my voice. Yeah. And about 30 days before the book was supposed to even you know, go out, I had to make a decision. Either the book was going to get canceled or I needed to write it myself. And so, you know, me being me, I'm like, I'll do it myself. Yeah. I kind of went into like a training camp mode, but really just got a chance to, to really distill down all of the things that I've learned and like 
weave it into a narrative that's not just a linear story like hey i went here i did this and i won it's like hey we're going back and forth through through time so it's the past it's the present you'll get to see kind of like all of these these characters in my life who've made me who i am the people the challenges i've had the failures i've had um all weaved into this like kind of a collection of short stories that ultimately you know leads into showing showing who i am everyone's seen the super bowls we've seen these highly publicized moments but what they haven't seen is kind of the behind the scenes the difficulties uh in in marriage and family and finances and business and trying to organize you know a social justice movement all while being in the public eye um i go through it all and yeah. it's uh extremely yeah. vulnerable you know I'm, I, you know how i am i'm a, I'm a poised guy i got yeah. a poker face on at all times um but this is really me kind of opening that curtain well that was it for me when i heard you writing a book i was like you know malcolm won't say two words some days but He's got a book that's probably ten thousand words long, and you've just been saving it up. So, so I think right. I think it's I think you're the perfect guy to do one because even with all the hats you wore and all the things you were involved with, you know, you kept you had an economy of words about you. You know, you you definitely mm -hmm. like to leave something to the imagination. And you know, I don't know if you just have always had that kind of quieter, more strong, silent personality, but. And I think it's also the reason that you might intimidate some guys. Like, did you ever get the yeah. sense that there were some of the younger players that were intimidated by you? Like, you never intimidated me because we're the same age and fuck, I'm just going right. to bother you until you start, <laughs> you start fucking playing back. And eventually we became really tight. But it was like, you know, if you walk in that building, you're like an alpha. And, you know, I think part of your mystique is you, you don't say much. And, you know, like, uh, I kind of wonder if you ever were aware of that. Yeah, you know, it's it's a lot of it is a lot of people don't understand I'm I'm super introverted. Yeah. So the majority of the time I'm like, you'll see me with my hood up, yeah, like just sure. walking through the hall, you know, <laughs> like you said, and I'm like deep in thought most of the time. Um but I remember Sproles when we first me and Sproles first got there, he he came up to me one day in training camp, like, man, yo, what'd you do to these people? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, man, everybody he's like he's talking about how Howie came up to him and asked him. To just like, hey, see if I enjoyed it here, if I was having fun, if I have regretted my decision. He's like, because he never smiles. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, man, I'm just, I'm just focused. It's not it had nothing to do with anybody else. But I, I did notice that, like, ah, like, you know, people walk on eggshells a little bit because they don't know, because I'm silent, I don't give my words. They're like, but I'm most of the time just thinking. Yeah. No, I know. That's the way I read you. And you know, some of the younger guys who maybe, you know, or be or in your in your meeting room they're probably a little frightened of you when they walk in they're like man there's this 10-year vet you're like one of the old nfl holdovers you know right you know like the vets are that's the thing the vets are way different than they were when we uh when we came in the league and so i think leadership yeah. is an interesting topic that i'm sure you touch on in the book again is what winners won't tell you lessons from a legendary defender um you know like leadership does it come up in the book and what's your whole leadership ground floor kind of i mean people have all types of different ideas of what leadership is what is it to you and how yep. did you go about that and how did that evolve as as your career went on yeah i even talk about it in the book that like and, and one of the things i'm most proud of is like i feel like every teammate that i have while that might be like the initial kind of read yeah. is like every young player that has played in my room knows i'm i spill every bit of knowledge that i have about the game yeah. like by all means, come meet me, watch tape. Like, I'll give you every tip. 
Um, but it really, you know, we talked about that in the, in the book, why that's important to me from a leadership standpoint. It's always been like the model of a servant leader. Yeah. Like, how do I, you know, not only just lead because, uh, you know, most some people get appointed to leadership, you know, whether they're qualified or not. Some people get appointed to leadership because they're the most talented in the room, but maybe not the best leader. Um, and so I've got a chance to follow a lot of good leaders like John Vilma, the Drew Breeses, and really watch them. And so you'll see in the story this evolution of like a follower, but like a leader as well of that, that same thing where I sit back and analyze the situation and how I strategically like decide to use my voice in certain spots. But I think I've always tried to be a servant leader. And I think, you know, I, I talk about it in the, in the book toward the end, football has started to die for me. I was losing the fun in it because I was just so focused on, you know, the, the producing, the, what my role was, you know, all of these other things. And then it got down to like, no, I have the most fun when I'm worried about my teammates. Like, let me just focus on these guys. I'm going to make them the best players I can be. And then, and, and then all of a sudden I started enjoying the game a little bit more because it wasn't about anything, but your teammates, the locker room, your day-to-day grind to go like perform. And I thought I found that to be the most, I've been a, you know, had to step up and be a leader in so many different ways. I thought that was one that was actually most challenging and, but also the most rewarding is when you're leading from like the back seat. Yeah. You're pushing guys to the forefront, but at the same time, you know, you know, your role is to prepare them and keep them, you know, at their best. That stuff is like, I think what, even what I'm doing now, just trying to apply that to my family, trying to apply that to my businesses where, you know, I, this, these things can go on without me, but my role is really to influence the people who are going to go do the work. Yeah. And that's something we've touched on, on this podcast before. And I've talked about it at length is, you know, being a guy who you might consider a leader myself when I played and leadership takes different forms in my prime, it was easy to lead. Cause you're one of the, you're like the, the head honcho. And then later in my career, when I get there, I kind of got to read the room and be like, okay, Malk's a leader. You know, a couple guys are leaders. How do I fit into this? And it's harder as you get older because you're not who you were. And, you know, for me, especially then in my career, you know, I was still a good player, but it was hard for me sometimes to be like, all right, I'm going to fully embrace this leadership role because you're not one of the the guys who are top five playmakers on the team. And so you got to be cognizant of that and that sort of thing. And then when you get to retirement, leadership takes a totally different role because Mm -hmm. I really believe this. We overstate, I think, when, when football players, and make no mistake about it, I think we bring something different to the table when it comes to corporate America, running a business, the whole thing. We're team players. We've been in high-stress situations, the whole thing. But we have to adjust our leadership style. And, you know, because yeah. that was one of the biggest uh, hang-ups for me when I started this job and trying to run a company and, 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 and be a leader is, like, I was still leading like I was a football player which yeah, is jarring to some people. <laughs> it is. You know? It is. I think the level of, it's the level of, you know, quality of work that we've had to do. Like, we've all been in an environment where it's not just us, but everybody is like, if I'm not the best at what I'm doing, then what am I doing here? Yeah. You know, you realize that that's just not how the rest of the world works. There are some people like that. And so I've had to like use a lot of those same like things. I'm like, all right, I've not every teammate has been hyper motivated. Like 
what did I do when I had a lazy teammate or if I needed to change, you know, like I changed teams and got to when I first got to Philly yeah. and realized like, ah, the room is a little dysfunctional. But like you said, I can't come in here and say all of y'all are losers. Yeah, <laughs> and, that's not going to work. Follow me. Yeah, it's like, oh, no, I got to silently, you know, just lead by action and yeah. then let my work ethic just make you look lazy. Yeah, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then you got to figure gotta, it out like, on your own. But it's also the communication, bro. Like I've told this story before, but last year, like I had like come to Jesus talk or two years ago with my, my crew here. It's like me, four or five guys. And we're trying to like improve the efficiency of the pod. And like, you know, we're trying to do better work and that sort of thing. And uh, I, I had a little pep talk with him and we talked about it on the pod the next week. And I asked one of the producers, I was like, how'd you feel about that conversation? He's like, well, I got something to say about that. You, call, you, you said something that I wanted to bring up. And I said, what did I say? He said, you called us motherfuckers. And I said, give me the context in which I called you motherfuckers because I don't remember it. And he said, well, you called us some hardworking motherfuckers. And I said, that's a fucking compliment where I come from. That's a compliment. So, so it's just, you know, like taking the edge off of your leadership, lowering the standards yeah. sometimes, not for yourself, but for the people around you and, and going in that more like, you know, and also like the perfectionism of being a pro football player, the feeling like you have a gun to your head and like having to go out and, and get your job done. Like, it's just not the same temperature and it's okay, yeah. you know? And so, so part of it is you just saying, I got to learn to relax a little bit. And yeah. And I think that's retirement in a nutshell. Is like, this, you know, I, this is, I'm like, this is therapy for me. Yeah, cause, dude. Cause, uh, you know, I'm like fresh in it. I'm literally having these conversations like at the moment where I'm like, is it me? I'm like, I'm, I'm wilding. Yeah, but, uh, no, I remember Corey Underland telling us like, yo, there's nothing casual about what we do. Nothing. Like nothing was casual about football. Everything's urgent. There's no walking on the field. There's no taking your time. You know, it's like every day you're being evaluated where, you know, out here, it's just a little different. Like you said, everybody's not marching to that beat. But you also realize that that's what makes us cut, you know, from a different cloth. Like yeah. we've been through that process, that environment, and we actually thrive in that environment. Yeah. You know, and then we get tossed into, you know, other things. And it's, it's like playing with younger players. When when you're at the peak of your, your knowledge of the game, you're trying to do like the things that you can imagine doing in the middle of the game. And a young player is like, nah, man, this is outside the playbook. Yeah, I dude. What am I? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. it's 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 the communication is standard. It's the whole deal. And then retirement, I think also, and I'd love for you to talk about the struggles of retirement because I think we all struggle with it. I mean, you know, like even if in retirement over the last four years, I've looked like I've been swimming, I'm like a duck on the surface, you know? And, yeah. you know, like I'm, 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 I'm paddling as hard as I can. And it might look like I got it together, got it together. but I've had trouble. Right. You know, I've, I've definitely had trouble. I think for me, some of it is the reconciling with your career. Even if you had a great career and you're happy, there's only one way to look. You, there's only one way to look now, and it's back. And you know, Backwards. like during your yep. career, you could always say, "Hey, next year I'm gonna do this thing. Next year I'm gonna achieve this goal. I'm gonna improve on this thing." And you look up eight, nine years in your career and realize it's not gonna go forever. And at right. some point, you can't say that anymore. But until it hits, you don't really feel it. And I also think the ego part of it, which Everybody has an ego. It's one of the most misused yeah. words. Okay, like everyone has an ego. You have to have an ego to survive. And in the NFL, you have to have a big ego. And I don't mean like you're arrogant, yeah. but you have to be your biggest advocate. You know, uh, you have to think you're better than you are. You gotta walk in confident. You gotta walk in like not taking any shit from anybody. And then 
you get to retirement and that thing kind of changes. And I wonder for you if being away from football, you learn anything about yourself that you maybe talked about in the book or the struggles of yeah. just being a regular guy and dealing with regular guy shit. No, I think that's, I talk about it a lot in the book. The book starts off with me, with retirement. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like, hey, I'm going to take you through my life, but it's like, we know how this ends. Like, yeah. I make all these, this is my career. I win two Super Bowls. Cool. This is really not about that. Um, and at the end of the book, you see me getting ready now to step into whatever that unknown is. Yeah. And I talk about it like there's fear because, you know, you want that stage forever. You want to be able to yeah. be acknowledged as one of the best in the world at what you do. And then starting over at zero, yeah. you know, is scary in a world where you've been, you've been drilled in your brain to believe that you're a dumb jock that, you know, somehow, you know, we are dependent on the people who handle all these services for us. All we know is football. Yeah. Um, and it's really just like an unconditioning, like that has to, to kind of go through in a, a, you it's you got to challenge that fear that's at least that's where i am now because i feel those doubts like daily but one of the things that's helped me is like how do i structure my life in this in this football that i know like so my week like when i work out how i attack you know different tasks i'll just make that the game so yeah. i know okay if if this parent teacher conference meeting <laughs> is the game this week then what do i need to do to prepare for that yeah. all right i need to know what my kids doing in school i need to know and I just take that approach to everything. And it, it at least like keeps me focused. Cause I think the structure to me is the biggest thing that you lose is the ability to, to work toward, you know, what you're doing. So when I first hit the ground, I'm like, okay, now what do I do? And you see athletes do it all the time. We're trying to do everything. Too much, dude. I try to do too yeah. much. We're trying, we're trying to do too much. Cause you're afraid of that because idle time. Yeah. Your, you, 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 your work, your work capacity is huge. Because yeah. you, you've done it, you're a grinder, and then you're also, you also, you, you think you have the confidence that you can tackle everything, and you know, yeah. before you know it, you're doing too much, and for me, it was like a mental health thing. It was like, fuck, I gotta take a break, or I'm gonna lose my mind after football, and it's not because of the reason I thought. I thought I was gonna lose my mind because I'd be sitting still, but I feel, right. and also you talk about- feel more busy now. Yeah, and, you, and you, you, talk, yeah. you talk about like liking it to football. I had a sudden change last week, Wayland pulled the fucking fire alarm at school, Mal. So, you know, you get all types of unexpected things that yeah. you just never. I got a whole chapter called, called Set Do you really? for that reason right there. That's perfect. Were there, were there things in this yeah. book that you almost didn't write about and you, were really hard for you to share? Yeah, so um, chapter 11, I named it uh, 111th. Mm -hmm. And it's this idea of like, your role and your like identity, you know, so what's your role, you know, on a team, not, we know as, a, as, as football players, like our, our roles aren't created equal, yeah. but all of them are equally as important. So it's like, what does that mean now as a man, yeah. you know, for your family, for your community, you know, your team, your job. Um, and, and I talk about the Super Bowl year. A lot of people see that as a year that was like the best year ever. But for me, it was one of the most challenging years ever. It's like, yes, there was a Super Bowl team, but it was me leading that. It was me leading the the negotiations uh, along with Anquan Bolden and with the NFL for the social justice movement. Then there was also my I talk about my marriage failing at that time yeah. and having to like put on a strong face so nobody knew about these things. 
like the 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 morning I kind of had to do with the idea of what my family looked like, and then having to, like you said, deal with sudden change, yeah, <laughs> and and reinvent that dealing with family struggles, like financially, you know, wanting to be there for them, but also recognizing, like I can't if I'm if I'm going to make this work, I I have to protect, you know, the assets, the money, yeah. and so it's all of these strains that are like. At that at that year was all pulling at the same time, and that that's probably the shortest chapter in the book. It was the hardest to write because, in the entire book, I try to bring you like into the moment, into you know my helmet. Those moments, like you said, where you know I'm, I'm quiet and reserved for words. It's like oh, there's plenty of there's plenty of dialogue in those moments, mm -hmm. and so bringing people into that space was difficult because I had to relive it a few different times. Um, I, I even talk about my struggles with mental health and, and contemplating suicide around that, that same year. And so it's to your point, even like afterwards, you, you realize that like we are the strong friends that like when people see us, we work hard and we'll go at it. So it'll look like we're doing well, uh, even if we're, you know, barely treading water. And so that was kind of one of the, the, the other things that I wanted to talk about is, is there is this this idea that we have of winners and how easy they make this stuff look but it is you know not at all easy to carry all that well it's just like you know i'm a gambler right hard right turn into mm -hmm. gambling for a quarter second it's really <laughs> as you know um if you bet college football especially it's 80 guys in the locker room they're kids they have a bunch of shit going on you don't know where anybody's head's going to be at a given week and again it's that whole like on the surface i see two football teams but I don't know if the quarterback's dealing with something from his personal life. I don't know if, you know, somebody has a sick parent or, you know, you yeah. like Super Bowl year and there's a lot to unpack there. But like you're dealing with a, a marriage that's in peril. You're dealing with your social justice stuff, which I thought, you know, you held your head high and, and worked as hard as you possibly could. But you took a lot of arrows, man. And, you know, there's that there's. There's just your mental health, the whole thing. Like, what was the lowest point for you? I didn't know. I'm one of your boys. I had no idea that you were that low. Yeah. So next time, tell me first off, motherfucker. But secondly, <laughs> secondly, like, yeah. how'd you get there and, and how low was it? Because when you put yeah. that in a book, I got to ask. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's one of those things where you just, over time, you pile things up, right? It's it's like being on a, on a bench. You know, you're like all right, you know, you put a couple plates on, you got that easy, you know, put a couple more plates on. And a lot of the times we have friendships where, you know, our friends, when you're the strong guy, they, they just sit back and watch you do the stuff. Right. right. They're not spotting you. They're just in awe of all of the things you're able to carry. And you just keep putting plates on because like any, any man, we want to challenge ourselves. We want to stretch, you know, the limits, but at, at some point in time, you're going to reach that bandwidth. And I, I think that was that was the year for me that I did. And, you know, I'm trying to do everything in my power to hold that in because I don't want to be a distraction. I don't want to. It's like if you start talking about it, it becomes real. And so I try to just compartmentalize it until it just I couldn't anymore. And then I talk about one of the, the things that was probably the most humbling parts, but it was also, you know, I, I saw it as weak, but really it was probably the strongest thing to do was actually ask for help. Um, and then once I did that, that started like therapy. So I've been in therapy for six years now, six, seven years. Yeah, now, me too. About the same. Which is, which is yeah, 
Yeah, which has been good. Like, you know, it just, you get those outlets and those tools. So I'll talk about, you know, that it doesn't mean that life gets easier. It just means that, like, as you build up all of these things with life, you go on, you add your business, you add your family, you add your own dreams and personal goals. That's a lot to to maintain. You got to build up some tools and some things to get you, you know, to navigate these great things. Um, and so it's like, whether that's meditation is breathing, it's all kind of things like a bunch of that self kind of self care, um, you know, conversation, knowing that you got to take, we talk about it all in football, right? Yeah. The best thing you can be is available. Yeah. <laughs> I realized like, if you don't take, if I didn't take care of my mental, I didn't do the things that I needed to do to take care of myself. Then eventually I wouldn't be worth anything for my family. Wouldn't be worth anything for the community, yeah. the team, all of the things I'm trying to hold up. Yeah, man, it's so interesting because I'm sitting here and I'm like, talk to me, man. But the times that I've been the lowest and some of them have been recent, you know, I don't I don't seek people out like I go to therapy. But, you know, my standing in my social circle is I'm the I'm the person people are depending on. And like whether it's Mm -hmm. being the boss here or, you know, like I'm having a real bad day. And I'm not talking about a bad day like you're just in a bad mood. I'm talking about you're bad. It's bad. And I'm afraid to go to my wife because she's dealing with three kids. You don't want to be the fourth kid. You know, and like, how am I going to complain about my life when your setup's even harder? Uh, And, and, you know, at work, again, you're the the leader. And and your friends, you don't want to come across weak. And sometimes you also don't assume that they'll understand. And so, like, no matter who's on the menu to talk to, you find a reason not to. And you know, just two weeks ago, I've, I've been working my tail off, man. Like, and the schedule's crazy and all that stuff. And you know, it's the football season, it is what it is. But I went out, I went to a concert, you know me, I like music and went out and went with my buddies from high school and had a great, well, I was supposed to have a great time. And I found myself sitting at that concert, like, I just want to escape. Like, I, I just, like, I felt like, like, yeah. The things I've always loved to do, I'm having a hard time doing them. And I, I was I was ready to explode. And I, I talked to one of my good friends later that night. And all it took was me saying, like, I'm having a bad night, man. You know, and the conversation that, that followed that, I think, got me through the last two weeks. And, you know, yeah. it's just just a simple, like, I'm not having a good time, you know. And, and, and your yep. friends will usually follow that lead. But it's terrifying to say that. Um, and not because I'm not... I'm not, you know, outward with my emotions. You know me, I wear my emotions on my sleeve, but you know, I guess there is something about showing that weakness, you know, or 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 putting that burden on other people is more the problem, I think for me. So, I'm with you, man. It's one of those things that like for me that was scary, right? But it's like a it's a muscle that we don't use. Yeah. It's a, it's a part of our growth. I think we rob ourselves sometimes of our ability to love any differently because we aren't vulnerable yeah and so like you know we talk about all right what's the different like ways for leadership is like in order to find those you've even got to be open enough to be weak to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and and all of that stuff so i think it's once i started doing it it definitely made it a lot easier you know you get a friend or two that you know you can call on in a in a bind but i do think there's also times like, like I'm still here. Yeah, right? exactly. Like there are things I've learned having to weather that stuff myself. There are tools that I got through where I can stop catastrophizing, right? Like, okay, let me not make this a bigger deal than it is. Yeah. 
and use these tools to get through it because you're not always going to have somebody. But it does. It's like, again, when you're really trying to stretch yourself, you're taking on something that's bigger than what you can do. You're going to need, you know, uh, a support group, somebody there to spot you. Even if you don't ever drop the bar or drop the weight, you might make it to the finish line without help. It's still good to have that support system there. So that's that's part of what I hope people get, man. You know, like like you said to me, bro, please reach out because we yeah. all are, are are struggling a little bit. This is and we're the only people who really understand this lifestyle, what it's like to play football, have your identity in something since you were probably six, seven years old, and then, you know, rip the band-aid off. And now, like you said, the only thing you can do is look back. So one of the things I'm I found myself doing is like well, okay. I tried to reject looking back. Yeah. I wanted to look forward. Yeah. Now I almost tried to like I wanted to erase the mental conditioning yeah. of football uh when I first retired. So I stopped really watching it. I'm traveling, I'm in the art, uh did a nice little ayahuasca. I'm fucking retreat. that up. Oh, oh, yes. <laughs> this is good because yeah. we were like you texted me yesterday and you were like, Are we are you are we gonna talk about ayahuasca tomorrow? And I was like, Well, it wasn't on the menu, but but all you got <laughs> so, yeah, so you did this. Yeah, so it happened. I was trying to do it last December, um, and it just so happened that the trip gets delayed till May. Um, and so it was right after I turned in the final pages of this book. So it really was therapeutic for me. Like, I got to unpack that whole, you know, football experience, write it, put it to the side. And then I was really trying to, I, I was hoping that the medicine was going to like untrain me, you know, all the mental conditioning I've had through football. And let me really like see what is my purpose that is bigger than just, you know, ball. And it was an experience. Uh, I don't, I haven't done, I hadn't had much experience with psychedelics before then. Yeah. Um, so you go in Peru, right? You go right on the Amazon jungle, right in the Amazon jungle, right on the outskirts. So you're off the grid. There's no cell service, no internet. You're there for five days. Uh, three of the days you go through the ayahuasca ceremony. The first two days, I don't feel anything. They give you the medicine. Everybody else is having, I can see the dude next to me. He's like sleep in a fetal position, smiling and laughing. He's having like the trip of his life. Uh, and I'm sitting there, my back hurts. I've been sitting for four hours, you know, my legs crossed, waiting for something to happen. And nothing happened the first two days, except it kept telling me that I needed to like forgive a bunch of people. So I was kind of like working through these blocks of forgiveness. And then I'm like, show me, I wanna, I wanted to show me my fears. I wanted to like I want to transform yeah. from this. And the last night they gave me a triple dose, like to the point where the shaman, even when they were about to, <laughs> to give it to me, she's like, Are you are you sure? And they're like, Yes. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, we're gonna go there. And for four hours, the first night I had a vision, for four hours, I had a conversation with a snake in a vision. You saw you saw her? <laughs> I saw a mother ayahuasca, yo. No, and I believe you. That's the thing. Like yeah. it's like ghost stories. You know, I'll read yeah. people on YouTube or watch people talking about their their experiences. But I'm like, I don't know this motherfucker. He could just be making something up. But you saw the, the snake, the mother ayahuasca. That's supposed to represent the spirit of the medicine. And we talked for four hours about everything, bro. And it's it was like mind blowing. But really changed my mind on like you know, what I'm supposed to be doing, this idea of like, we, you know, I want to love the world. I found myself like really contemplating love a lot. And it talked about just shifting my idea of love from a feeling to an action. And so 
you know, even start with myself. Most of us, like for me, it's like, all right, how do I know that I love myself? Well, if I look in the mirror, if I dress good, I feel good. You know, I'm like, all right, I feel good. I love myself. And so when I go out into the world, I'll do stuff that makes me feel good. And I'm like, I love that person. Or I love my partner because I have these feelings. Doesn't mean I'm loyal. Doesn't mean I'm doing anything with action. I'm just, I feel the love. Yeah, that's the the bare minimum. Yeah. And so it was like, all right, now turn that into an action. Like, what do you do to love yourself? And it's like, okay, well, to love myself, I got to have some like discipline. There's things I can't do if I love myself, right? There's things that uh, if I want to be healthy, then I need to work out, not just because I want to look good, but because I love myself, right? Then it's like, okay, now all of a sudden you start to look at your partner the other way. It's not just a feeling. It's like, what am I doing in my daily actions? To show that I love you. That's going to teach me lessons on how to love my kid. It's going to teach me lessons on how to love my community. And so it's like this starting with yourself and then letting that radiate out was really a lot of what I got. And then at the very end, I have a conversation. I see my ancestors. So I see, I talk about them in the book a lot, how I would have conversations with my two grandfathers and my grandmother uh, right during the national anthem, right before kickoff. That became like my routine. And so during this ayahuasca trip, the last night, um, I'm sitting and I turn into a childlike version of myself and my grandparents are singing to me and they're telling me, they're reminding me of like who I am as a leader. They're showing me like, you know, that these things that have happened in my life aren't just by happenstance, how they've been guiding the way and, and setting these things up. I just have to remember like that I don't bow to anybody that I am, you know, somebody who's meant to lead. Um, and then they're like, you know, just basically letting me know that they're there at all times. That's wild. And that joint was, you know, it was it was a lot, you know, but it was it was it really did help me kind of showcase like it's not for me to take my experiences with the league and throw all of it away. It's actually like, no, this process that I'm going through, that we've been through, it was all on purpose. And that is a stepping stone now to something else. Like Yeah, the like road's not over. It. The road continues, man. Yeah. No, so what yeah, so what did the the snake look like? I got a few follow-up questions here. Uh it looked like it looked like a normal snake. But just like um, six feet it, tall. Oh, yeah. I was sitting. So the whole time it kept telling me to meditate too. That was the thing. I need Close to your eyes. Don't worry about me. <laughs> I'll just be here. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I was like, yo, how do I trust you, man? What's up? <laughs> but uh nah, it was it was really like one of those things that was, you know. It's hard to explain because you're, I wasn't even out of control. I can open, like one time I, it just got too much and I just asked it like, can I take a break? And it's like, sure. And then the vision pauses and I'm just sitting in the room, like aware of everything that's going on. And then, all right, when I'm ready, all right, let's go. And it just takes you back off. I'm like, it's, it was something I never, See, you, I couldn't you, even you know, expect. You know, I like the shrooms and, and um, mm-hmm. so I have messed with psychedelics, you know, plenty, but I just... I've never done this. And, um, you know, the understanding I had was like, it's going to change you. And then some people, though, they get changed for the worse. And then it's hard to get out of that. I don't know if that was a a risk that you were worried about. Well, there is like the this a phase called like integration. It's kind of like once you understand these things, you've unplugged. So even even if you just just take five days and you are off the grid where you don't have phone access, Internet access, all of that. You there's so much information that you have not taken in, right? Because like you're sitting with yourself, right? You're self-conscious. Yeah, you're evaluating now your only voice. You don't hear all of this stuff. 
But then now you go back into society and then there's the news and social media. It's like all of these things. Some people have a hard time integrating back into all of that. Um, and I think that was a big part of even before the medicine. It's like for 30 days, you, you're not drinking, you're not smoking, Ooh. you're abstaining from the information you're taking in, you're eating clean. So it's like when you show up, you're already kind of like a shape. very pure version. Yeah. And so you get to see this stuff you know, without the influence of the outside world. And then people do struggle with now going back into it, but you're like one of the few who now have this perspective on the world and everything else is still going. So yeah. it's, it is a little bit of a, of a, of a change, but I went with my, my best friend. We've been, we've been, he's been my boy since high school, me and him went um, and we had similar kind of experiences. So after each night, like we would go, play chess and and talk about like our visions which was that that helped for sure last question before i get into football um you know i've always admired your endurance for the stuff you've done off the field you know and and getting into that space you know i was always in the space but not exactly in the space and you providing a vehicle with players coalition and doing all that stuff it was like i was right place right time to be with you and be able to chip in my two cents and that sort of thing. But I'm a guest in the space, you know, like you can be an advocate, you can be an ally, whatever it is. But I know that like, I'm, I'm staying in the space, but this is like, I'm, I'm a, I'm a supporting piece of the the puzzle. And like you being a black man, de dealing with everything you deal with, being a leader, being ambitious in the space, like it's a different burden for you. And I know that journey's continued after football. I'm kind of wondering because it was a crazy fucking three, four years, you know, like yeah. it was yeah. that space on steroids and you were in the forefront and there was, there was messy stuff. And one of the things that was toughest for me was like getting in the space and seeing that like not everybody agrees, like, you know, and yeah. everybody wants the same thing in the space, but everybody wants to get there a different way. And people yeah. want to wear different hats. And I just thought you yeah. took a lot of shit and you were doing all the right things. I wonder if your endurance ever wore out. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I, I outlined all of those things, right? Because you were close to it. You saw the behind the scenes of how hard it was to like organize players around that time. And yeah. that was, that was surprising for me. I, I assumed, you know, when you raise your fist on the national anthem or you align yourself with, people are taking a knee during the national anthem. We know that there's going to be pushback and backlash to that, right? We weren't surprised. What I was surprised that was the internal kind of fighting and how hard it was to really get everyone on the same page. Um, and you realize that even though we're on the same team, we all want, we have different motivations. We all want different things. Um, and what's ironic is we, you and I both know what it's like to be on a team like that, where not everybody's here for the same reasons and what that mm -hmm. looks like. Um, I think one of the things that helped me during that time was like Anquan Bowden. I talked about him. I, I hit him up the other day, just like, bro, now that I'm reflecting on these moments, like I was catching a lot of those arrows, but he was a guy who was never, you know, never cared about who got credit, who said what, who, <laughs> what they were calling him. He's like, man, I'm here to get this done. You know, he had his, his cousin, that was a real life story for him, somebody who died at the hands of an off-duty police officer unjustly and he left the game of football to go do this work full time and so standing next to like his poise even though a lot of people didn't see it because he was no longer 
you know, at the podium. He wasn't doing the media because he wasn't in the league anymore. You know, his ability to stay focused on the things that mattered and the, the goal that we were trying to get and not about what people are saying was helpful for me because there was times where I'm getting caught up in it too. I'm like, yo, are they calling me a sellout? Like, ah, we got, I got to respond. I got to say something back. I can't allow this to be, you know, what they say about me to be, you know, true would have to be the perception. And it's like, bro, no, just stand on the work. Like in due time, all of that chatter will stop and your work will speak for itself. And that, you know, that was helpful because here we are, you know, and the amount of work that has been done over those seven years, I think are, is bigger than anything I could have even imagined. It's almost like you, we look back at those moments now and it's almost foolish that we were even worried about <laughs> what right. people were saying in the, 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 you know, the media and all those things when, when we were on the cusp of creating an organization that would empower, you know, 12 different sports leagues of, of professional athletes to get involved, not only just in their communities, but politically uh, in their, in their communities. That's something that's never been done before. Um, and I was, you know, that was at that moment, those were the things that we were shouldering. And it's probably hard for you. I know at times it's been hard for me, like just in my involvement with you. I mean, the backstory for people who don't know is everything that was going on in Charlottesville was, was, was affecting me, but in a way that, you know, like it's easy for me to say I'm affected, but you know, like after this passes, I'm gonna go back to being a white guy and in America and it's gonna, you know, but like, I remember being in training camp, being fucking mad, just sitting there watching the news at night, that sort of thing. Everything going on in my hometown, came into work. I don't think we were that tight yet. And, you know, I just saw you over at the, the breakfast table and I'm like, yo, would you mind? Like, I don't want to <laughs> right. fuck your deal up. <laughs> right. You know, I, don't want, you know uh, I was like, Forrest Gump, can I come to the Black Panther party? <laughs> you know, like, I was like, I was like, hey, Mal, can I put my, my, um, my my hand on your shoulder because I didn't want to I didn't want to upstage you or make it about me but you do want people like me in the fight you know but I had to enter it the right way and I just remember that conversation thinking you know like I I just want to support Malk because I always I admired the way you went about your work even if I didn't even if I didn't know you that well right. and you know fast forward six seven years down the line we're tight. We've, we've, I've been able to tag along for some great work that you've done. And, and, you know, it, I've, I've gotten a front row seat at you, like having to take these arrows and be called a radical, you know, by people that right. don't like you, but by the people, you, you know, that are supposed to be with you, you know, people are throwing the word sellout and that sort of thing around. So it's gotta be hard. Cause I know after football, I've met a lot of people who think they know who I am because I put my hand on your shoulder. You know, and some of them have this whole idea of who I am, how unreasonable I am. I hate America. I hate, you know, all this stuff. And really what I'm doing is supporting a very valid mission for equality in America. You know, yeah. I've, I've wanted, I, I want you and people that look like you and come from different communities than me and that sort of thing to enjoy America as much as I have, yeah. you know? And so I, I've always struggled with the, the after football of people looking at me and having these preconceived notions, I know it's probably even harder for you because you're the guy with yeah. your fist up. No, but I, I think the one thing about your narrative that, that I think, you know, was interesting to me or I always appreciated it, and I think you can talk more about it and it would probably make sense to people, is that, like, you didn't... You just putting your arm around me wasn't the first... That wasn't the entry point, right? You no. asked questions at first, like, hey, 
can I just, I want to understand what's going on. Yeah. And without taking like, not feeling like you personally were responsible for, or there was an attack, but you know, on you. I'm not taking you it generally personal. listen. Right. You you generally listen to all right. What is happening in the communities? And when you listen, you even like you heard stories, and you're like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And and that and it was like that was really why you kept showing up, or at least that's what it seemed like, is because you actually took the time to to like all right, listen to what these issues are how does this actually function and even for me i had to realize like yeah if i'm if i want an ally then i have to allow some space for people to learn what is going on yeah. and figure out how they play a role in it right without taking it over without uh becoming now guilty or anything like that you did exactly what i think we all would want it's just somebody to one listen and then two put their arm around us you don't have to go you don't have to be front line yeah, you don't i'm have with to, you Take it over, right? I'm with you. I support. I see you. what you're doing, yeah. right? Yeah. That was important. That and if you if you throw me the alley oops, I'll make a play for you. But it was always yeah. you were going to be the point guard, and and, right. and Q was going to be the point guard, and you know mm -hmm. for a while, Cap, Eric, those guys, you know, when we were working together, I can remember mm -hmm. these calls were going on way before there was any anything that people. Any organization, knew about. Really, I mean, yeah. you and I talked. I think for the first time on a conference call when I was in New England, yeah. and you yeah. know, so the roots of guys trying to get together. And then the the exhaustion that followed of like, hey, you know, everybody's trying to get on the same page, do the same work, but it's not working out, uh, you know, as a group. I I, uh, I felt for you, so um, I know it, it's not easy, and you know, just wanted to because this is a football show, but Malk's done a lot more than football, and and I've been there to see some of it. So game day is the perfect pizza day. So make Little Caesars the official pizza sponsor of the NFL part of your game day order online during our pizza pizza pregame one hour before and three hours after nfl kickoffs plus all day sunday to have your nfl game day covered choose your favorite little caesar's pizza or pick the toppings you crave it's a pizza pizza win and speaking of winning everyone scores with convenient delivery or our in-store pizza portal pickup so grab some friends order your little caesar's and enjoy during the games. Whatever you're looking forward to this football season, there's one thing that pairs well with every great moment, an ice cold Miller Lite. Whether you're at the stadium playing fantasy football or watching the game at home or at the bar, Miller Lite is here to make your football season taste like Miller time. From kickoff till the clock runs out, you can't go wrong with a Miller Lite in your hand. It's the only light beer with a taste worthy of our national obsession. Because what's the point of having a beer if it doesn't taste like beer? Uh, when I go to Dirty Nelly's uh, and I pull up to the bar, they got my cold Miller Lite right there waiting for me. I head over to the corner, I look at that little TV, and I just sink into my chair and I think it, it couldn't be better. It's got only 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounce serving with a smooth taste and a crisp, clean finish. You get the taste you crave without the calories, important for me. So this season, crack open a light beer that hits your taste buds so hard, you feel it in your heart. Make it Miller time all season long. Get Miller Lite delivered right to your door. Visit MillerLite.com slash GreenLight, or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories and 3.2 carbs for 12 ounces. Talking about football, going back to Philly, man. 
you know, I texted you the other day. I was like, can a secondary grow up over the course mm-hmm. of a season? Because, you know, you look in that secondary, there's a lot of guys down. You know, I, we, they played Bradbury inside a bunch. That's a whole different deal. You played nickel. You know, it's like with the with, with the emphasis on having to have three corners in the NFL, the whole thing, that that's changed over time. I don't know if you noticed when that's changed, like over the course of your career, when nickel became a really important position or what went into it. But on top of that, can a secondary grow up? Can you fill that that void with somebody outside? And is it a bad thing to put your best corner inside? Like Bradbury's in there yeah. a bunch right now. It's what they got to do. But what do you think about yeah. the situation? Man, I, I personally, and maybe it's selfish because it was like it was my favorite position to play. Yeah. And where I thought I was the best, but I felt like the nickel is is actually like one of the more valuable pieces that you can have because he basically plays three different positions. He's playing linebacker, so he has to understand run fits. He's playing corner, except he doesn't have the sideline as help. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you've got to understand coverage and where your help is and how to take away leverage. That guy's also making calls. He's got a blitz. So there's there's this player's got to be one a cerebral player. So usually you'll lean to the veteran guy who can understand that, have that bandwidth. But it's also it's like you you need talent to play in there. It's hard oh. to cover those shiftier route trees that have got more space, more they're closer to the quarterback. Um, so you really got to understand coverages. You know, I, I like veterans playing the position or a rookie who's who that's his only role and he can can fit there. Um, you know, but it helps when you have two corners. You got Bradbury and Slay on the outside. That helps your secondary so much. So yeah. now you got Blankenship in the in the post who's developing well. And I, and then so you're just looking at your down safety and your nickel. Whoever they are, you don't have to be the most talented, but they've got to understand coverage and help. Because they don't have to stop everything. They're the two, the strong safety and the nickel are going to be closest to the linebackers, closest to the, the run fits. They just got to understand, you know, how to win that. You can set them up for success with coverages. So, But that's going to leave Slay and Bradbury to be one-on-one. They're going to have to, you know, win those matchups in order to really provide that help on the outside. But, I mean, when you look at our Super Bowl team, it was built off the D-line, Um and then some really – like, we had a bunch of injuries. So it was me, Nigel, playing, you know, manipulating the defense and coverage. And then Darby and, and Jalen Mills holding up on the outside. There wasn't – you know, they weren't the lockdown corners out there. But no. they, could, they could play. But our scheme lent to it, right? We, they knew their role, and that's all you had to do. And I think that's, that's really, for me, has always been the easiest way to get away with, like, lower, a lower level of talent is make the defense simple – make it easy easy to execute, and then they can do that versus anybody. Um, it's a dynamite segue. It's a dynamite segue into Jim Schwartz in a second of his defense. Mm-hmm. I want you to explain that. Yeah. But but at what point in your career did nickel become a thing, like, you know, a bigger thing? Do you remember, like, some some moment where you're like, all of a sudden, yeah, this it was, guy's it was be when, really good? It was when um, – and I, I talk about this. I'm go back to this book, but I talk about it in my book, the transition from being a corner – to safety and then really finding out that nickel was my best spot, but I had to convince all of these coordinators to put me there. Mm -hmm. And um, really when I got to Philly was the first times where they were like allowing me to play that nickel position. I started having the best years of my career because I'm closer to the football and I can do all of these things, right? I can manipulate the run. I can cover 
receivers. I can cover tight ends, cover backs, um, play deep in the coverage. You've got so much more versatility when you've got a guy that can do all of those things as opposed to if they put 12 personnel on the field, now you've got to go base or they put 11, now you've got to change the nickel. When I was out there, you can play now nickel against anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if you've got I a tight end who can – if you got a, a nickel who can hold up, cover a big tight end, hold up in the mm-hmm. run game, like, yeah, you can be a lot more uh, adaptive with your personnel. You know, right. so – and it's like the Rams. We just talked about this. The Rams played the Eagles. And, you know, that star position being so valuable, Jalen Ramsey, one of the things you took for granted was that you had mm-hmm. a Swiss Army knife who could fit in the run front. You know, they run cover three, yep. they run cover four. He can fill that backside A, all that stuff. And, yep. you know, they got Kobe Durant in there who's younger, he's smaller. You know, it's a hard fucking job. You know, a lot of people look hard, at the yeah. corners outside, they look at the D-line, but the nickel, if you don't have it, or if you had somebody like Jalen Ramsey who's being asked to do a lot, like that's a real luxury, So, or yourself in yep. Philly. And so I guess my question to you would be, for people getting – uh, familiar with Jim Schwartz if they missed the Super Bowl run, what does he do? You know, like I always thought of him as a real simple cat. You know, it was mm-hmm. it was about the players and it was about some simple concepts and mixing in some 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 blitzes and pressures at the right times. But he was going to let the rushers eat. Uh, what did you yeah. like? If somebody's like, "Hey, Malk, explain Jim Schwartz. How do you do that?" Yeah. I would say Jim Schwartz is he's an adaptive coach, right? So this his first year, he's gonna have his scheme. I think when he first got to to Philly, he was more of a split safety kind of guy, uh, ran combo coverages, and you know, he's got the wide nine where he's gonna lead with the D-line. The D-line will get the right away for everything. He's gonna try to get pressure with four, hold up in coverage with combo coverages and split safety, you know, defense, and and that was kind of it. But he changed once we we weren't built for that, yeah. and he he started to look at Seattle a lot, um, and so did I. I really love like the Legion of Boom playing single high, where everything now can look like split safety, but you really don't know if we're in single high if the safety's in certain weak, if he's in certain strong, if he's in certain in the middle. Um, is it really quarters? But it's all kind of the same principles. And it's very simple. What that allowed guys to do was, you know, this corner, this left corner has the same job every time. The right corner has the same job every time. The nickel, same job every time. And then the only three players that really have adjustments were like the free safety, strong safety, and linebacker. And that allowed me to say, you know, so that's my role. Okay, I look at the formation. What? Where's the offense trying to attack us, right? So yeah. are they – if it's three receivers to – one side, I know they're trying to get a receiver on the mic. I can switch with the mic. Yeah. And it's a very simple switch. Or, or they put a back that they've got that they want to create a one-on-one on the backside. Well, okay, me and the mic will switch. Yeah. And this now is just like there's nothing you can do to put us in a bad position besides throw to the corner who already knows which routes you're going to try to hit them with and vice versa. That made us play so much faster, even if we didn't have, like, you know, a guy who could lock you down all day we at least knew what we were doing. We knew the weaknesses of what we were doing and how you had to attack us. And so we just meet you there. And I think that's, that was to me, like one of the best things you can do as a coach is create a defense that is tailored to the players in it and then make it simple. So they don't even have to think of the scheme. They're only thinking about the offense and what's coming. 
You talk about Jim, we talk about that Eagles run. Who's a guy that you don't think got enough credit for the effect that they had on that defense or that team? Yeah, Patrick Robinson. That's the first off think the top the of my head. Yeah, like, you know, he – because he was on the – you know, he was on the street as a free agent. And I remember him hitting me up like, hey, what – you know, I'm just looking to get on a team and play, get a good year of football under my belt. And I had been with him in New Orleans. Yeah. And so I'm like – he knew kind of the room that I had. He's like, he's a guy that plays really well when he's around a group of people that are focused. Yeah, man. But he, I think he was rated like in the top two corners that like passer rating that whole he year. He was great. Yeah. Played phenomenal. And it, you know, we talk about guys that you don't have to worry about. He's blitzing. He's, he's that nickel position, yeah. right? Blitzing, covering guys, got us through a bunch of injuries and then had that big pick six in the NFC championship. Yeah. Like we don't have, I don't, I don't think we're as, as good as we are if we didn't have Patrick that year. No, he was awesome, man. And you know, like uh, you talk about Patrick Robinson and bringing him um, LG. I can remember LG. It's so funny everything that came together yeah. that year. But like I can remember calling Tory, calling LG. You know, Tory was already on his way down, but I was like, let's do this. And then, and then LG, I'm like, bro, this is fucking awesome. I've been talking to these guys. Bro. So just like the free agency. Uh, hits that we had with veterans and the way that mm-hmm. the veterans were actually recruiting other veterans to come play. Yeah, because we, we saw it. We're like, yo, hey, we got a lot of young talent here. We just need a couple yeah. like vets to keep them all focused yeah. and we'll be we'll be good. Yeah. What what was your favorite regular season win in, in that run? Um because you know everybody talks about the Super Bowl, but there were some moments where they're kind of like, and you've been on a Super Bowl team, I've been on a Super Bowl team, but you, you know, me, it was New England. It's hard to draw any comparison to anywhere else. Like, yeah. was there a moment where you're like, yeah, we're pretty good? Um, I think there was, there were a few games where we knew it. I think by the time we got to the Bears team the game and we were uh, doing an electric slide on the sideline, it's like we <laughs> knew we were good, yeah, right? Out. But but we had to reset that when we lost Carson. Yeah. And I'm like, those that stretch was probably my favorite because it was like, all right, now we get to really see what y'all are made of. Mm-hmm. You lose your, you know, potential MVP quarterback, and then now you're an underdog in each of these games. So I think my favorite um regular season game that year was the uh game against the Raiders. Yeah, that mine too. Because we had to clinch clinched the first yeah. round uh at home we had to clinch the, the number one seed that day and they were they were they came to play it was cold that they came to battle. play yeah. uh it was physical they have marshawn and the week before <laughs> it's hard to remember this but like we played new york and i felt like we were so as a defense and we said this you and i were like yo we got to worry about us you know like everybody's worried yep. about the quarterback and the giants hung like 20 something on us and we escaped with a win yeah and the next yep. week, it was like we dialed it in and worried about us. And that's that's where we realized our potential as a team. It's like we don't always have to be scoring 30 points. Uh, let's right. win this thing on defense. I hate buying tickets. I've been playing my whole life. Never had to worry about buying tickets. The ticket part is stressful. The game's stressful. The ticket part's really stressful. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. 
And with the Game Time app, it's easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in your area. If I'm trying to see the monster trucks for my kids or Willie Nelson for me and my kids, I can find it all on the Game Time app. Game Time's the place for last minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has the deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Stag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code GREENLIGHT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code GREENLIGHT for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Thanks to Cash App for sponsoring this podcast. With their security, free-to-order debit card, and a suite of savings and bank tools, it feels like they're my money's BFF. And speaking of BFFs, if you pay attention to the podcast, you know that all of our BFFs are on the Greenlight Softball Squad. We're into softball so much that Dr. Fax challenged me to a home run derby. Matt and Reed put a little side bet on it, and after Fax came out on top, it was easy enough for Matt to pay up and Cash App read his winnings. I wish I could have defeated Dr. Fax and helped Matt take Reed's money, but Reed's now slightly richer thanks to Dr. Fax and Cash App. With security, discounts, boosts, a free-to-order debit card, no overdraft fees, Cash App is like a BFF for your money. So download it in the App Store or Google Play today and start enjoying your BFF app. So if I was to ask you, Best uniform you ever wore. Uh, I'm talking about the looks here because you never got to wear the Kelly yeah. greens, but like midnight. Yeah, I know. I never got to do the Kelly midnight green, green scarlet and gray. Is that how y'all say it down there? And then uh, yeah, the scarlet, gray. scarlet and gray, or, or then the uh, the New Orleans uniform. What's the best uniform you've yeah. won in the worn in your career? My favorite uniform of all time is when we played. I was with the Saints and we went to Philly. We had the white on whites. Yeah. White sleeve, white socks, white cleats, gold helmet, and then a tinted visor. I'm like, yeah, okay. This, it was, it was clean. That's why I didn't get a chance to wear the Kelly green. That would have probably been my best. That'd have been number I, one. I, I really, I'm jealous that the Eagles get to, to pull them out this year. Uh, I gotta get me. Bro, one. you gotta see gotta, the Broncos. You gotta see the Broncos get ups from yesterday. I don't know if you saw any of that game, but I it, didn't see the Broncos. They all orange with white helmets. They look fucking incredible. So. Yeah, I think the Kelly Greens would have been number one. Uh, okay, bouncing around a little bit. Chiefs, Spags, defense. You've played for Spags before. I played for Spags before. Way different than Jim Schwartz in yeah. that, like, Spags is going to make it a little more complicated, and it shows yeah. when he plays these young quarterbacks and he heats them up. Uh, yeah. I, I kind of wonder for you what makes a Spags defense go because it's been variable. Like, he's had the historically bad defense, you know, yeah. that's that's happened. You know, it, with us, we weren't great, but we didn't have great personnel in St. Louis. And then, you know, he's yeah. also been a championship, you know, defensive coach in Kansas City as Twice. well and in New York. Right. So yeah. so yeah. what makes his defense go? Yeah, I, it starts with the D-line. And I talk about it, you know, in, in my book a lot. And he probably got the short end of the stick in my, in my book as a coach because <laughs> I was part of the historically, you know, bad that year, dude. The worst defense in the history. We were all game. like in St. Louis. We were like, see, <laughs> see, it's, it's not, not me. It's not us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but nah, it was 
it was tough because you know we were a blitzing team. Yeah. We were built for man pressure coming from Greg Williams, and we went to to um, uh, Spagnola, and he's a zone pressure team Fire that's zone, all yeah. about the front four. So if you can't get his defense gets pressure with the front four, and then it's all zone pressures kind of behind it. So if you if he's unable to get to the quarterback, suddenly there are holes, you know, in the secondary. There's you know, guys that are the flats that are open, but it's hard to find them if your quarterback's under duress. And so it's really big for him to have some pure pass rushers that can get to the quarterback, you know, in a few steps without having to be too elaborate. Um, But I think he has adjusted too over the years to um, just, you know, what his team does a little bit more. I mean, I played for Spags back in 2012. He's he's grown a lot, you know, as a, as a coordinator, and I think it's worked at different spots. Like I said, he's been a Super Bowl champion defensive coordinator now twice. Um, so I, I think for me, is if I'm looking at Spags' defense, I'm, I'm first have to handle the the front, and then I'm looking at you know the zone pressures, what zone pressures he likes the most, and I'm gonna look to exploit those. But you've got to be able to take care of that rush if you want to. Yeah, and and this year without Chris Jones, like the first game, you know, I was really yeah. worried about this defense without Chris Jones. Like that's why he makes such a big difference. Is yep. you know you need rushers, and I got no problem with Carl Loftus and some of the other guys they've had and Dana, and they played well. But like that's the straw that serves the drink in a Spags defense. And uh, yep. I wonder if you could remember two or three Spags calls. Do you remember any of the names of the calls? And I could tell you if I actually remember what the fuck a D lineman did. I remember there was uh, one called Spartan. There was Spartan. Spartan was is I, I, I got across the guard's face, so I remember that. Sparrow. Sparrow. That was that was edges. That was the edges. Yes, <laughs> I remember. Uh, uh, damn, what was the other Spags call? Uh, um, it's been dang. 12, 13 years. We've only learned three defenses since, but I can tell you what Sparrow and Spartan are. Right, it's very, I don't even know why I like. Spartan. Yeah, it's funny like you barely it. remember some of this shit, but I'm not going to hold you to that. We, we, I'm pretty sure if Spags came on the show, we'd be able to at least ace the test. But um, another guy you play for, Sean Payton, obviously tough time to talk about Sean Payton. I'm a big fan of Sean Payton. He's been on the show, and it's so funny, Malk. Uh, when he came on like two off seasons ago, he, we thought we'd have him for like 45 minutes, and he was like, "No, I'm just driving through Louisiana." He stayed on the phone for two hours. He just wouldn't stop talking. And, like, that's the type of guy you can tell he is. He just loves to talk about football. He'll go forever. And when the whole Hackett thing went down, I almost felt like he just forgot that he was coaching again and he was still being an analyst. But, you know, like, what do you see when you you watch Denver struggling? I know you haven't watched all the games, but do you think Sean can pull them out of this? Like, what – what makes him great? Because we've only seen him yeah. really in New Orleans, and now he's got to take that that mantra somewhere else. Yeah, I think what we've seen him do, right, is like in New Orleans, he started in 2006. Yeah. And he built that program, you know, from the ground up yeah. and had success pretty early. Got Drew Brees, and he created a culture that, like, no matter who came and went, that culture was there. And it was, you know, there's only a few franchises in the in the league that have a culture like that that is – as long standing as his yeah. was. And now he finds himself, you know, at a new juncture, but it's 2023, right? It's a different time. You know, the Bill Parcells methods don't always work. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I think he, there's a balance that has to happen of him embracing this team that he has in yeah. this year, 
but he's got to also instill his new culture. But also that team has got to embrace that. They, they, you're not going back to, to Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. this is a new, a new, new sheriff in town. And, and Sean likes things his way. And when you're not winning, he's not going to back off of his stance. It's it's kind of a get down and lay down type of situation. Um, so I think it's, it's really, that's what really what I want to see. Are they having fun? You know, or is, cause that's what, you know, Sean Payton's teams to be They're competitive. They play hard. They usually have fun and enjoy the game. Yeah. Um, and right now you don't really see that. Yeah. Uh, who's got bigger balls, him or Doug, you've been a part of the onside kick to open the second half mm-hmm. and Doug with the Philly special. I know if you boiled it down yeah. to those two decisions, it'd probably be Sean. But in general, yeah, having that aggressive. If you went coach. to those two, I, I think I think Doug's a little bit more aggressive, to be honest. Yeah. You know, like he he goes for it on fourth down routinely. Yep. Like that's just his his deal. He don't he don't care. Yeah. Um, but I think that's the competitor in him that we we took on that that personality. That attitude. And the same yeah, same in New Orleans. We you know, he came in a locker room that that in that Super Bowl, like, hey, we run in the ambush yeah. and like, oh, we're all ready. Like, we've been preparing for that. So it's not like he's even shocking us. Yeah. You take on the personality of your head coach. And I think that's, when you look at Denver right now, you don't see that. You see Sean Payton and you see the Denver Broncos and we're waiting to see like that marriage of, of kind of ideology. Which culture is going to win out? The culture of losing or yeah. the culture of Sean Payton? Right. So, right. Um, and by the way, I didn't talk about this earlier. You mentioned Super Bowls. Tom Brady wrote your forward for your book. And yeah. that to me is... Out of left field a little bit because you were a thorn in his side, man. Like, you know, like I I'll always remember yeah. just because, you know, Sammy B's my guy. And when he was playing Philly, I keep one eye on some of those games. And I was like, yeah, I wonder if they're going to go beat the Patriots this afternoon. Y'all went and beat the Patriots. You had a pick six. I can remember mm-hmm. in the Super Bowl, you barking at him and be like, Malcolm, please shut the fuck up. You please like walk over <laughs> here. <laughs> Get, like, we do not need to piss Tom Brady off, but you just didn't care. Uh, yeah. how, how did that relationship go? Like, and is there a relationship? How did you go about getting him to write that forward? Yeah. So like, you know, is there's only the relationship from a competitor standpoint and, yeah. and just being around the league, being a peer. But as we were thinking about the title of the book, you know, I'm like, okay, you know, who are the type of people that should, they should write your forward. And they're like, well, people who, who know you, who, but also have a, that, that validate kind of some of the things you're saying in the book. And I'm saying, well, if the title is a legendary defender, then who better to, to kind of talk on that than my favorite opponent. Yeah. And I'm like, Tom is one of those guys who I've had, he's, you know, when he retired, I didn't even realize how significant of like a character he was in my game. Cause I'm like, well, if he's not playing, like, who do I go against? Like, Mm -hmm. where's my motivation? You know? So and I, but I just remember just the, a lot of the things I've even learned from Tom as a competitor, you know, I mean, those joint practices and I'll never forget, uh, get a, a ball he threw to Randy Moss. I'm playing, you know, cover two. I'm on the backside yeah, safety. Him. We're doing a two minute drill. So I'm like, you know, for me, even when Brady retired, I'm like, you know, I'm like, damn, who, who am I going to go against? You know, I'm looking around the NFC, <laughs> NFC South, like, damn, he was really a big part of my motivation every year. Yeah. Um, you know, but I'm I'm like, all right, who's my favorite? If I'm gonna say legendary defender on the front of the book, then I need to who better to write that narrative or that story than Tom Brady, my favorite opponent. Yeah. Um and I just got a lot of respect for him, like who he made me be as an opponent because I knew I was getting ready for Tom Brady, like constantly. You know, a lot of those moments are in the book as well. So, you know, that's it was uh one of those things that he was 
he was at least, you know, he was, I've been trolling him these last few years about the Super Bowl. At least he wasn't, uh, you know. Oh, he got like seven. Like Fuck, if you're in your feelings, dude. Right. You, that's a you problem. Like we have one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, the other guy I want to ask you about is Dan Campbell. You were only there for a second, right? But I remember texting yeah. you because I was like, immediately when they hired him, shocker, I was like, yes, I love this guy. Uh, yeah. He's like my kind of guy, dude. And I think a lot of people looked at the the, the cover of the book and they were like, oh, he's just this dumb jock. He's fucking got a big pickup truck and all this stuff. But he's a really sharp guy. And, you know, like he's talking about biting kneecaps, but there's a lot of intentionality about the way he's going to build this program. He's going to hire coaches that played in the league. Some of our guys, you know, um, yeah. he, he he's a physical outfit. He coached under Sean Payton. He's smart. And he was a pretty good player. Like he had a long career and you played mm -hmm. with him. So like. Were there any impressions of Dan Campbell as a as a teammate? You know, I played. He was the he was the a coach. So oh, he was, like, a, he was a coach. Him. You played for him. Yeah, he was a coach. Yeah, yeah. I played for him. So I'm watching. Like, oh, this guy's intense. Yeah. You know, like, so so you, when he got the head job, you knew that that oh, that's going to be a physical team. He brought Aaron Glenn with him. Like I said, a bunch of other yeah. coaches who were former players. So they're going to be they're going to be able to relate to especially a young group of players and get them to play probably more mature than they actually are. Yeah. And we see that they're a physical bunch. They're, you know, they're gritty. That's all coming from the head coach. You're going to embody who that person is. So when he's talking about biting kneecaps and all those things, it sounds funny to the outside world, but internally you're like, that, yeah. that means you're dealing with 53 guys that'll bite your kneecaps off. Yeah, exactly. And that's pretty yeah. tame shit compared to some of the stuff I heard out of New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and I played for Greg, things. too. Even when Greg wasn't doing that, people were like, whoa, whoa yeah. he, just the verbiage. Uh, but yeah, no, yeah. and that's, you know, when you say cut the head off the snake, I'm like, well, that's a metaphor. <laughs> The metaphor: <laughs> Kill the head, and the body will die. Yeah. What did Mother Ayahuasca <laughs> say about Greg Williams? <laughs> I had to share. I had to share some of those. Some of that, uh, that conditioning. Yeah. Um, he definitely had a, a brainwash. Yeah. I, I mean, so I'm a big Dan Campbell fan. My my last question for you is Ohio State related. It's really a a, a two two part question. Number one: Why do you think it took so long to find a good quarterback from Ohio State and uh, CJ Stroud? Uh, and then number two, do you hate Michigan, Atlanta, or the Cowboys more? And how would you order that? All right, I'm going to start with this second. Uh, it would go Cowboys because it's closer to – the Michigan is a little further removed. Yeah, and you always beat them. Um, yeah, and I've always beat them, so it's never been a yeah. problem. So I would say um, Cowboys – Michigan and then the Falcons. Eight week down there. Uh, I, I actually have a line in my book, like a quote. I'm I, talking about how I would never play for Jerry Jones. I would retire before <laughs> I played for Cowboys. <laughs> so I'm like, let that let that stick between yeah. the pages forever. Uh -huh. Um, as far as a quarterback, look, man, I don't, I can't, I can't, you know, I can't. They gave Troy Smith. That was my favorite. I love Troy Smith, quarterback of all time. I love man. Troy Smith. He got a bad rap in the league, man. He, he was pretty good. For, yeah, Singletary, you know, had a had a little rough go there at head coach and kind of buried his career. But I thought he was pretty good. I um, did too. But since then, I think you we n haven't had many like pro style quarterbacks to come out of um, Ohio State. And I think when you talk about transitioning into the league, you know, if you are not able to to add that like pocket presence and throwing along with the 
the zone read yeah. and the, the quarterback runs is just tough. Like it's tough to do unless they build the entire offense around you. Like they, like we've seen with Baltimore or Philly. Um, I think we've had those type of quarterbacks until, you know, Stroud is really playing well Yeah, and we see him developing, but um, you know, it's, it's, that that collegiate game doesn't always translate to you know to the league. Yeah, no, it's I mean especially at quarterback, it's really hard to call. And then you know the context around you matters. No matter what draft pick you are, it's I always feel bad for right. guys because I was there as being a high pick on a bad team. It's like you know, well, it's easy in a lot of ways because you you're making money, you're set. You know, you're going to get more opportunities, but it's a shit show. You know, there and the expectations yeah. are high. And I think Bobby Slowick's done a nice job in Houston. With enough pro yeah. style elements to you know, and and this guy has done a great job of of adjusting. Tell the people what you did this weekend. Uh, was it the Hall of Fame in, at Ohio State, or what what happened there? Yeah, so I just got inducted to the Ohio State's Athletic Hall of Fame. Awesome, uh, that was cool. So myself and it's about thirteen inductees. Nick Mango was also one of them. Uh, so that was cool. Got he doesn't to talk go much. through a banquet. Then. No, nah, I don't talk much about. Don't talk much. I was about. on a panel yeah. with him, and I'm like, "Does he hate me?" He's just probably like people feel when they first meet you. And the two of exactly you guys having right. a conversation. It was very, very, very few words in that conversation. Yeah, exactly. But uh, no, nah, it was awesome. We got to. They played Maryland uh, for homecoming, so they brought us on the field at halftime, yeah. recognized us, all those things. So it was, it was definitely an honor. My parents got to come in and see all of it. Oh, congrats, cool. man. That's awesome. Well-deserved. We got to see James Laronitis, our guy. Uh, one last yeah, time, yeah. the book is What Winners Won't Tell You, Lessons from a Legendary Defender. Legendary teammate, legendary off the field, legendary on the field, uh, and a great guest. I appreciate you taking all this time, bro, and uh, it's good to see you. Congrats see you on the well, book, bro. dude. Congrats. Big Thank congrats. You. I know an author. So <laughs> appreciate you, big you dog. Do. All right, brother. Love you. Hey, love you too, man.